Shalom, good morning, good morning to you, family, friends, and guests. My name is Lucius Raza IV. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Blueprint Church, and I'm also a church planner of You Movement Church in Marietta, Georgia. I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. I love you. I love you. God loves you. You believe that? Amen. You believe it. <laughs> I have a question for you. Are you glad to be in the house of God this morning? Like, are you excited to be alive this morning? I had to bury one of my second mothers last weekend, and as I was facilitating her funeral, I was just reminded of how happy I was and joyous I was to still be in the land of the living, to see my wife and my children, but also be a part of God's mission. Are you excited this morning to be a part of God's mission? A lot of times we come here in the morning because either we're carrying something on our back and we're hoping to be free of it, some of us come to church in the morning because we want healing or we want some type of encouragement this morning, whether by God's presence or whether by his word, but I just want to encourage you this morning, you can't receive that this morning. If you just open up your hearts and your minds to receive God's word that is unfailing and unshaken, amen? So let's just start off this moment, this morning, let's start off just by telling ourselves this, say today, I will forget those things behind me. And I will press towards the mark that is before me. Okay, y'all said it. Like y'all didn't believe it. Amen. <laughs> Let's say it with some conviction again. Today, I will forget those things behind me. And I will press towards the mark before me. Hallelujah. This morning we continue in our series called The Greatest Hits. And when I think about the greatest hits, I start thinking about some of my favorite songs. Some of my greatest hits, and I don't want to say them because it makes me feel old. But I remember, <laughs> I re remember one of my first greatest hits was, and I probably was just, I'm probably the only one, when Michael Jackson wrote, You are not alone. <laughs> that was one of my favorite hits. <laughs> Amen. But we in church, so I'm going to take us to some gospel hits. <laughs> One of my favorite hits growing up in the gospel was a very simple song. And I'm not sure if your generation still sings it. Jesus loves me, this I know. What? What? Hey. Yes. Take it to the bridge. What? Again. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Adlib. For the Bible tells me so. Give it up for y'all. That was amazing, 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 amazing. So when we think about greatest hits, we think about those songs that what that kind of reminds us of God's truth. Those things that really impact our lives throughout our walk and our journey towards the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. One of the verses that rocked my life, that helped me see what takes place behind the scenes when I was going through suffering. I felt like all my life, I felt like all my life I faced death. But I've always lost loved ones, friends. All my life I was losing loved ones, friends. All my life just seeing death, 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 suffering. Things not going the way I planned. I wanted to go to the That didn't happen. I wanted to go to school. Like it was always this suffering I felt like that was around my life. And what helped me to understand God 
and understand what takes place behind the scenes was this verse right here in Job chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. So if you could turn to, I mean, Job chapter 1, verses chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, you could turn there with me this morning as we dive into one of my greatest hits. And if you could stand for the reading of Yah's word, we're going to read his word, we're going to embrace it with faith, we're going to let it transform us, amen? So it says this in Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, it says, Now there was a man, uh, now there was a day when the sons of God, Paul, some would say that the sons of God, some say the sons of God was just some men of Yah, but a lot believe that the sons of God mentioned here were, were angels. It said, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves as normal before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And then the Lord said to Satan, or Hastan, from where have you come? So they're having this dialogue, Satan and the Lord. Yeah, and Satan says to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered or set your eyes on my servant, Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He wasn't saying that Job was sinless. He was just saying that Job was, knew how to deal with sin appropriately. Meaning that when he sinned, he would repent. When he would sin and fall short of glory of God, he would get back up and run towards his maker. He said, have you considered my servant, Job, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan says to the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The thought I want us to, to take in this morning is that Yahweh allows hardship to confirm us, not kill us. Yahweh sometimes allows hardship to confirm us, to establish us, not kill us. Let's pray. Father God, you are glorious, you are wonderful. May your word say all things. May it not be my charisma, may it not be my voice, may it not be my, my swagger, anything that gets in the way of your word doing what it needs to do. Lord God, help me by your spirit not to add to it nor take away from it so you may be glorified and so many in this room may be drawn unto you and not me. Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can sit. So Job's name, Job, this is the book of Job, and Job's name means hated and persecuted. Yahweh called Job a blameless man, a man of complete integrity, an upright man who fears him and turns away from evil. The book of Job is a wisdom literature, and it gives an account of a servant who walked in righteousness and holiness in the earth, whose life was touched by Satan through the allowance of God. Job lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his health. 
Job's three friends, though they tried to be supportive and tried to be present, they were very inaccurate with their understanding of why Job was suffering. And which Yahweh quickly condemned them of that perspective. And after Job suffered through the hardship, Yahweh, his father, his creator, came around and gave him double or twice more than what he had before. It's encouraging to me to know that God can give us double, like they would say in the old school, for our trouble. It's an encouragement to me to know that God will see us suffering and see us lose things to whether it's something that we have done or something that the enemy has done, and he comes back around, he establishes us, and then he restores things. I have a 13-year-old son named Tyler. Before him, we had a child that didn't make it. We had a child that was born with anencephaly. Meaning they didn't have a, the, uh, 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 the, they were missing the score from over the eyebrows and up. And Storm didn't survive. She didn't survive. And my wife was like, I don't think we'll be able to have another child. And it was hard for us. And as you can see me choking up, I'm still grieving from what took place during that time. But do you not know that God restored us with another child? And we have Tyler. He's 13 years old. And he's probably the best child out of all my children. Sorry, LJ. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. But God restored. He didn't have to, and he doesn't always. But sometimes he comes in and he restores what we lost. Job lost a lot. And if you read the story, if you ever read the story, it was back to back. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He had balls on his body. He was suffering. But after the suffering, God showed up and he restored. Another thing I love about the book of Job, the book of Job peels back and shows us what takes place behind the curtains of suffering. We just see what takes place in the earthly realm. But it encouraged me with the scriptures when I was reminded of what takes place in the spiritual realm. This dialogue of Satan who we've been taught through cartoons or whatever, that whenever him and Yahweh talk is always just this, ah, nah, nah, this bickering, blah, 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 and they fighting. And but Joel's giving me a picture of a devil that submitted to an authority. And they're having dialogue about the suffering and the test of Job. The book of Job also crushes our retributive mentality, this mentality of retribution that if I, if I, if that, that hardship comes because I've done something, which is not always true, sometimes it's just God's will. Why? Because he wants to confirm you. A lot of my confirmation or even validation as a man of God came through suffering. Because in the midst of suffering, God reveals some things about me. In the midst of suffering, God confirms some things not just to me, but to others around me. About who he called me to be and who he called me to live and act in that, in that time and in that season. See, Job teaches us that who we are and what we've done doesn't determine our qualification to experience hardship or not experience hardship. Remember, Job was wealthy. He had everything. He even was an upright, blameless man, God says. But yet, hardship came on him like a flood. 
This book helps us see the gracious and sovereign character of Yahweh and it encourages us in our brokenness and in our weakness because this book reveals that our God doesn't always respond and reprove and repay and repay according to what we have done but according to his will. I'm going to say it again. This book helps us to see the gracious, sovereign character of our God, Yahweh, and it should encourage us in our brokenness and weaknesses because this book, the book of Job, reveals that our God doesn't always respond, reprove, and repay us according to our actions, but according to his will. But one thing I found to be very profound is that we struggle with the fact and with the truth that God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And that becomes our struggle and our fight. And that's when we grab on retribution and all these things. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, it can't be because this doesn't make sense. But we have to remember, as he does whatever he wants to do, though, though it may not make sense to us, he is still holy and just when he does it. And he's still loving when he does it. And he's still gracious and merciful. Why? Because Yahweh allows hardship to confirm us, not kill us. You may feel like your hardship right now is crushing you and it's too much for you. Your depression, your physical health, your mental, your mental capacity that you're in right now where you just, your, your, your mind is all over the place and you're like, I just can't think straight. Like uh, the hardship in your home with your marriage or with your family, the hardship in your community, the hardship in the world, it may feel like it's killing you, but it's not. God is using it to confirm you. One, to confirm us to us so we may know that we are the beloved children of God. Sometimes God allows hardship just to remind you that, hey, I got you. I'm your, I'm your father. You're a beloved child of mine. But also God confirms it to others. Your, your, your enemies, your haters to let them know, hey, 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 that's a child of mine. And you better be careful how you deal with them. God confirms us. And what does it mean to be confirmed? To be confirmed means to be affirmed, to be established, to be certified, to be approved, to be supported, to be upheld by God. He affirms our position in his kingdom through hardship. He affirms our, our calling in hardship. He confirms it to us and he confirms it to others. And when we think about hardship, we must think about not just tragedies, but temptations. Somebody in hardship right now might be their temptation. Of somebody they're dating, the temptation from, from sleeping with him or her, the temptation to not be prideful, the temptation not to be selfish as a husband or wife with your time, talent, and treasure, uh, a temptation not to, not to, when nobody's looking, do something that's not aligned with the will of God. But remember, in the midst of that temptation and tragedy, God is seeking to confirm you and call you. Think about Moses. Yahweh called Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity, out of oppression, and then he, he hardens the heart of the enemy. So they thought they were just good, like, oh, man, God set us free. Then he hardens the heart of the enemy. The enemy comes after them. But then what does it do? It sets up a beautiful, great, grand stage for Yahweh to show up and confirm them by splitting the waters, taking them across, drowning out the army, and showing them, you are mine and I got you. 
Sometimes some of us will not see how great and loving and gracious and merciful and powerful our God is until we encounter hardship with him. Not only was Moses, but think about Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the Son of God. He was led by the Holy Spirit into what? Into the wilderness. To be what? To be tempted by the enemy. Why? Not to confirm to Yeshua, but to confirm to the enemy that you don't know who you're messing with. Yahweh confirms us through hardship. And I just got three points this morning that encouraged me out of the book of Job. And that continues to con- encourage me, and it's this. The first one is this. Our enemy is under Yah's authority. Our enemy is under our God's authority. In verses 6, we see, like I said, the presence of God and angels coming in the presence of the Almighty God. And then, then, this, then this Satan comes up and he presents himself before the Lord. And then the Lord begins to have dialogue. He didn't shoo him away. He didn't say, what you doing in my presence? He didn't say, get out of here, you stinking devil. They had dialogue. Why? Because these angels will present themselves under the authority of God. And God will dialogue with them and give orders. So we see here Satan, our enemy, who sometimes we worry about, is under God's authority. So I encourage you, engage courageously. Our enemy is under God's authority, so engage life courageously. Engage what? Engage missions courageously, knowing that no one can stop the movement of God on the earth. Think about the dialogue. He said, man, he said, have you considered my servant Job? He said, yeah, but you know, you got a hedge over Job. You cover Job. You bless Job. So Job is going to act the way he acts. He's only being obedient because he want to receive something from you. And he said, well, well, test it. Go ahead. Try him out. He said, but listen, what did he tell him? He said, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. You can't kill him. Authority. We think that, that the enemy walks around and just does whatever. He just does whatever. He's under authority. Which should allow us to engage missions courageously knowing that we don't have to worry about the opposition of the enemy as we go out on mission locally and internationally. The young, y'all don't have to worry about the opposition of the enemy as you go out and share the gospel in Middle East, no matter how ignorant the enemy wants to act with you. I encourage you to engage missions courageously. I also encourage you to engage evangelism courageously, knowing that the part of the good news, the gospel, is that the power of the enemy, which was death, has been snatched from him. That no one has to be slaves anymore to the fear of death, meaning the fear of being forever separated from God, our creator, because Jesus Christ has given us access to be sons and daughters and not slaves to death. He's given us an all-access pass, pass to him. For he's the omega and the alpha, the aleph and the tav. He is the beginning and the end of all things. So as you engage evangelism courageously, do it knowing, knowing that part of the good news is that death has been snatched up in the hand of Yeshua. For Galatians 4, 5 says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
So not only do we need to engage missions courageously and, and engage evangelism courageously, we need to engage discipleship courageously, knowing that the weeds that the enemy places around the seeds you have planted in people are able to be uprooted for the production of repentance and worship in the heart of people. I'm going to say it again. The weeds the enemy placed around the seeds that you are planted in people through sharing the gospel with them and loving on your neighbors, those weeds will be uprooted to produce repentance and worship in the one that you are pursuing. And those weeds are lies and perspectives and, and ideologies and false truths that have become strongholds on the minds of our neighbors. But be encouraged. Our mighty God is able to empower us to tear down those strongholds, to uproot those weeds so that the seeds that we are planted and watered by the, by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit can produce fruit. Fruit of worship and praise unto a mighty God. So engage discipleship courageously. Don't be afraid as you engage your neighbor. Don't be afraid to start and maintain relationships. But not only that, engage relationships courageously. Relationships with God. Engage relationship with God courageously because you already know Jesus Christ died so you can be free and have all access to his presence. That's why he said come to the throne of God boldly. Engage relationships with one another as believers. That God is in the midst and he can, he can start and maintain and mend relationships and even restore and heal relationships. So we engage relationships courageously knowing that our God has power over wicked spiritual powers to create, heal, and restore our relationships. There is nothing stopping us from building relationships and maintaining relationships for the Holy Spirit is our power. There are relationships right now in this room that you think cannot be repaired. But I want to encourage you, if you trust in the Holy Spirit, it can be according to his will. Think about it. That's why it's good that when you study God's word, don't breeze over stuff you know. Dissect it. The holy fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't speaking in tongues. Isn't casting out demons. The fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't prophesying. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, faith, on and on. These are things needed for what? Relationships. So if there's a relationship around you that you believe like it cannot be fixed, believe it. If you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and let it work through you, that it can mend and restore that relationship. So we have no reason to not be courageous when we engage relationships because we have a power in us and with us that can build, restore, and heal relationships. Amen? But what I do see is that sometimes we fear opposition because we forget opposition in the kingdom of God. We fear opposition and we fear the enemy. Well, I don't know. I can't because we forget who we are, that we are children of God. Yes, we are ambassadors. Yes, we are reconcilers, all that. But first and foremost, we are children of God. And in his parenting, he loves and he protects and he covers and he provides for his children. But sometimes he allows hardship to confirm you. 
but he is a powerful God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in proper time. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Remember, he said, what you been doing, Satan? He said, I've been going up and down the earth, to and fro on it. Sounds like a lion walking around seeking for someone to devour. He said, have you considered devouring my son, my servant, Job? And then he said, resist him, resist the devil, Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers around the world. This encouragement because it reminds us that you're not the only one going through suffering. I'm suffering. I'm sure you can call up someone and say, hey, like, I'm going through something. They probably share, like, yo, I'm going through some type of suffering as well. Look around the world. We're all suffering. But then it says this, and the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a while. To him be power forever or dominion forever and ever. Amen. We fear opposition because we don't know opposition in the kingdom of God. Opposition is sons and daughters under a powerful God. Psalm 62 says it in verse 11. It says, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to who? To God. Power belongs to God. Our enemy is under our God's authority. So engage courageously. But not only that, but our Lord considers us. So walk confidently. Don't just engage courageously, but walk confidently because you know our Lord considers us. He said this in verses 7 through 8. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Meaning, have you set your eyes on him? Have you, have you set your attention on him and in your actions considered him being part of what you're trying to do? God considers us. In Psalms 8, verses 3 through 4, which is one of my favorite passages, it said, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? What is, what is man that you consider him, that your attention is always on him? God is mindful of us. Why? Because we are his beloved children. And when we are confirmed, it's confirmed because we are considered the reason why he confirms you in, in hardship and suffering is because he already considered you or he already placed his eyes upon you and his attention upon you. And he said, man, I want to do a great work in him or her. So I know there's going to be hard for them. I'm going to help them bear this load. But in the midst of them, I'm going to confirm them and I'm going to establish them and I'm going I'm to I'm 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 prove them not to themselves but also to the world that they are mine and that I love them. Yahweh considered Job a God-fearing servant, and he confirmed that in the midst of hardship. Some of us learn more about ourselves through hardship. Can you imagine that, the impact it had on Job after he went through all of this? The tug of his friends giving him, like, the wrong like, ideology of his suffering. Imagine what he went through when he lost his children, when he went through when he lost his wealth. And then now his, his body's being touched and it doesn't feel good. If you deal with any suffering, 
I have a suffering night. I pray for God for that all the time. That I have to wear sunglasses majority of the time because certain life will hit my the stigmas in my left eye real bad, and then my my I get a blur in the corner. Then my eyes I get a migraine. Then my eyes begin to get blurry, and then I have to take migraines quickly because if I'm driving or whatever, I can't see for a certain moment. I have to pull over, and I beg God over and over again, heal me of this. He hasn't. But do you know in the midst of it? I'm still reminded that he still loves me. Because he, that even though my body is touched and stuff is being touched around me, I'm not touched. I'm still his, which is the most precious thing to me. God considers us. But what I love about God, I see here that I don't hear a lot of people talk about. I see a cockiness in God when he talks about Job, too. Like, I see the cockiness you would have if you knew your friend had hands and it was a fight getting ready to start, and you're like, I, I bet you won't fight my homeboy. Now, he might not wanted you to do that, but he's like, yo, I'm not worried about God's hands. Imagine the cockiness a father has when he knows his son is good at sports. He'd be like, yeah, you can play basketball against my son, because he knows already that his son is able to accomplish what's being placed before him. I see the same cockiness of God here, which is encouraging to me. Not only do I see that the enemy was under God's authority, but I see that God believes in his, his, his people, his children. He has a cockiness about us. He's like, that's mine. Like, that's Job. He's upright. He's blameless. There's nobody like him in the earth. Same way I talk about my son, LJ. He's dope. Ain't nobody could got hands like him on the court. Play against him. But we lost. Amen. But it, God wanted him to go through suffering to confirm him. <laughs> and Richard and EK, all of us. But I see this cockiness that I love. How Yahweh shows and displays about his children. He tells the enemy, have you considered my servant Job? If any of y'all ever read any of the uh, like book of Maccabees, it talks about almost a similar thing taking place between, between God and Satan when it came to Abraham. And Abraham sacrificing his son. And I know a lot of those texts are, are confirmed by like a lot of just Middle Eastern and Eastern and African cultures. But in there, it shows the same. It talks about the same thing taking place of God having this dialogue and saying, of Satan almost saying, you know, like, I bet you he won't sacrifice his son for you. And Yahweh walking in the same cockiness like, watch and see. How encouraging is that to know that as you live life and you're looking at yourself that you're imperfect and I can't do this, God. I can't hold this position, God. I can't, I can't, I can't, can't fulfill this mission you called me to. And God said, yes, you can. I believe in you. I've equipped you with what you need. You can do it. Don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about what the, what the enemy may say. Like, I, I believe in you. I considered you for this task. The young, y'all might even not feel totally competent to do God's will on mission. But he said, I've equipped you already, and I, I, I believe in you. Why? Not because of your capabilities, but because of your heart. They're willing to lean on my capability to do all that needs to be done. That's what he saw in him. He was upright because he always looked towards the Lord. He always depended on the Lord. So I enjoy seeing the cockiness of my God in the midst of this, the same God who talks about us and speaks about us in a way that we don't even see about ourselves. Think about David, King David. God said he's a man after my own heart. Yet David 
had a dude murdered, committed adultery, slept with the guy's wife, got her pregnant. I mean, it was, it was a Lifetime movie in and of itself. Like, he supposed to have been doing work. He didn't go to war. He laid back. He looked out the window like, oh, shorty dope. But that's my man's girl. But whoa, she dope. He goes over, mess with her. He entices her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He said, yo, she pregnant. Let me send the dude off. He sends her husband off. He gets killed. And then he marries the woman. But God said, this is a man after my own heart. Because it wasn't about the actions of his hands. It wasn't about his imperfection. It was that at the end of the day, in the midst of his imperfection and his weakness and his brokenness, he still was a man that loved God. I'm sure you've done something that you're like, that is far beyond my character. But I love you, God, but I don't know why I keep doing this. God, I don't know why I keep, like, God, I keep lusting after this. I don't know why I keep wanting to do this. I don't know why I keep saying this. God, but I love you, but I just keep doing this. My flesh want to do something opposite. And sometimes I make stupid decisions. But God still be like, but I love you. And I still called you to be an ambassador of my kingdom. God sees stuff in us that we don't even see about ourselves. And this is what we see in the book of Job. The same confidence that God has in Job to consider him to be tested by the enemy. But not only that, we see other than just our enemy is under y'all's authority and that our Lord considers us, but also that our stuff may get touched, but our soul is always preserved. Value your soul over your stuff. Sometimes our focus is more on the stuff that we have even our very own life, our, our flesh more than it is our soul. Our soul is not, is not compared to the stuff that we have. For the stuff that we have is not our blessing, but our soul. And the salvation of it is our blessing. Our blessings is, in life are spiritual and they're not physical. When you start grabbing the fact that, man, the things that should be a blessing to you should be the spiritual things and not the earthly things, is when you start being able to walk in freedom when hardship comes. It's not going to be easy, but it helps shape your, your mentality a little bit. It helps you, it shapes your perspective. The guy like, yeah, I don't like my eyes being like this, but one day you're going to come back and all things are going to be made new. And I'm just excited, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm content with the fact of that I'm still your son, and I'm saved, and I'm yours. And though my stuff might get touched, and my life might get touched, you still preserve me. For God told Job, he said, listen, he told, no, God told Satan, he said, you can touch all Job's stuff, but you cannot touch Job. Because Job wasn't his stuff. We identify our, ourselves with our stuff. We identify ourselves with our church. We identify ourselves with, with, with the things we accomplish. We identify ourselves with this flesh. But this new creation that we are is no longer attached to the flesh. Otherwise, we'll be condemned with it. But we're separated from this flesh, though we're in it. Almost like the thought of being in the world and not of it. You're in that flesh when you're a believer, but you're not of it no more. That's why it wars against you. It's just a spacesuit almost. It's just, it's just an attachment. It what connects you to this life and to this world. That's all your flesh does. It connects you to this life and to this world. But it is not you. Think about it. 
Our home now, which this is not a home, is a home that's in a whole other dimension than this world. Amen? Think about it. Everything we have as a new creation is all in a, it's all, its origin is in a spiritual realm and it's in a whole other dimension. Our new breath that we have, the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit, is of the spiritual realm. This home we're coming after, the kingdom of God, it is here but not here. This, this God, this presence, our Father, is here with us, but he's not here. It's, 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 it's a spiritual life that we live, though we're in this earthly life, and God uses us as priests, as a royal priesthood, to connect the earth with the spiritual things and the heavenly things. Our stuff may get touched, but our soul is always preserved. So count it all joy when hardship comes because there is a purpose for it. And that purpose is that it confirms you. It's not easy. Like I say, I'm suffering to this day. I'm grieving out over my second mother passing. I hate life. Not life in Christ, but I hate life on this earth, what comes with it. The suffering, the disease. Now they talk about another variant. Oh, the, like it just... It irks me, it, it hurts me, it almost makes me sick to my stomach living life on this earth. But I'm encouraged to know that I'm not in this earth alone. But God is with me. And God's main goal is not that I be comfortable here. His main goal is not that, that, I, that everything don't work out the way I want it to. His goal is that I be conformed more and more into his image. I reflect his image and I represent his kingdom rule. So I say, God, if hardship aids in me doing that, then I beckon it, God. And I know that's hard to digest. Look at Paul. Paul said, I prayed thrice that God takes this thorn away from me. I prayed that he take it away. But he's like, but if it wasn't for this thorn, I'd be very conceited with all the revelation and the knowledge that I have. I'm not telling you to overlook your hardship or, or, or downplay your hardship that we're all going through, but I'm encouraging you that in the midst of your hardship, behind the scenes, God is with you and he's championing you and he's waiting to establish you and, and, and show up and, and strengthen you and love on you and restore what has been taken from you according to his will. And that not only do you have to engage this life in freedom as a believer, but you can engage this life free from death and free from the opposition of the enemy touching your life and worrying about what he does to you because you are God's. And he is under his authority. For the testing of our faith confirms and affirms and establishes our hearts in a posture of worship and praise towards a faithful God. So as I share with y'all, our enemy is under y'all's authority, so engage courageously. Our Lord confirms us, so walk confidently. Our stuff may get touched, but our souls are preserved, so live joyously. These things are not easy to embrace. The reason why this is the greatest hit, because in my life of suffering, it helps me to understand God's character. It helps me to understand that behind the scenes, that God is fully in control and he's sovereign. In the midst of all my loss of aunties, friends, family ones, best friends, mothers. In the midst of my physical ailments. In the midst of my sin issues. In the midst of everything I'm dealing with on a daily basis. 
I'm reminded that my God is the sovereign and he's still in control. I encourage you in the midst of your hardship this morning, be reminded to not focus on the enemy, not focus on, man, it must be the enemy that does this. I grew up in black church, and that's the first thing we said. It must be the devil. Our order don't come out right at Popeye's. See, look at the devil is busy. Why did the devil care about your Popeye's order? But that's what we do. And I believe the enemy loves that because it distracts us from the truth. That that very enemy we keep talking about is under our God's authority. As we pray, because I sense I sense that some are saying in their heart, I feel like he's, he's downplaying hardship. He's saying hardship is okay. I'm sensing the spirit that some are saying, like, he's always, like, telling us just to push through stuff. And that's okay. My goal is just to share with you the word of God. Because in that very story, in that very story, Yahweh showed up and said, who was there? Were you there when I trained in waters? Were you there when I set the mountains in place? And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember everything he said. I don't have to before me. He said, were you there when I did X, Y, and Z? And it wasn't to denounce what he was going through. It was to remind them. That the same God who does all that and did all this and sustains all this, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and the one who sustained it is the same God who's with you. And he's with you in the midst of the hardship and the suffering. Blueprint, we've been going through a season of suffering. If you've been through, if you've been at Blueprint long enough, I've been here for 13 years. You've been here long enough and you know what's been going on. Like, we've been dealing with a lot of suffering, a lot of heartache. But I'm here to encourage you to allow your ears and your eyes to be open to what God is showing you in the midst of it. He told his disciples when it came to being on mission, he said, it's going to be much persecution that's going to take place. Like, it's going to be hard following me. But no, I'm going to take care of it. I'm with you. I never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. I don't, I don't deny your cries. I just got a will. And sometimes I may hold back some things because I want to pull some things out of you. Some of you all have things in you that's gonna, that, that the hardship and the suffering is going to pull an anointing in your life. And it's going to stir up something in you and going to pull something out of you that you never knew was in you. Till you got into that hardship. Some of y'all are, some of y'all are bidding, have a gift and capabilities in you, but because of the culture or the leadership that you've been under, it hasn't came up and hasn't sprouted because it hasn't been watered or planted. It hasn't been watered or, or incubated or loved on. 
But as soon as you get in that season, it's going to pull something out of you. Whether it's a temptation or a hardship. It's going to do something to some of y'all's faith like never before. The Bible is not about a life of comfort. Especially since sin has came into the world. And we look at the book of Job, and I encourage you to read all of it. We see a God that's fully in control while chaos and hardship is happening to one of his children. And then at the end, he comes back. He comes and he gives him double for what he's lost. Your hardship wasn't there to kill you. It was there to confirm who you are in Christ. Some of y'all, he had to take grandma away because you would depend on grandma for everything and you would never trust in God. When he took, when my second mother just passed, I'll be honest, the way I look at death, and it was only because, and it wasn't because he took her away, it was how he did it. That whole weekend, they asked me to facilitate the, the funeral, and I said, no, it would be too much for my heart and my mind to do that. So I went just to show up and support. Do you know the pastor and the priest did not show up? And everybody looked at me. That's it. Tried to get the church finger and walk out. It wouldn't happen. Because I feel like he wanted to confirm. I ran. I was scared. As soon as they asked my meat, I didn't even, conf- I didn't even consult God. When they asked, I said, no, no, no. It's going to be too much. My wife, I can't do it. Nope. It's going to be too much. That's mom's. I can't do it. I even told my wife, I said, I could never facilitate my mom's and my, father, my father's funeral. Never. I don't ever want to. So here I am. But then when they asked, when they said, they looked at me and they said, but we don't, we don't have nobody else. And immediately the Holy Spirit stepped in. And he used me to facilitate that funeral. And I've never facilitated a funeral in my life. But you know that it did something standing there looking at the casket, speaking to people. It did something about my stewardship to the dash that's between my birth and my death. It did something to how I need to steward this time that I have, this short time. I mean, I've always looked at death being important, but when I looked at her in that casket, I said, no, this is like, I'm going to be there one day. And it made me think about how am I going to steward this dash that God has given me for his glory, for blueprint, for you movement, for my community, for my family. But I wouldn't have looked at it like that. And it's even more deeper. I just don't want to go into it. But, but I wouldn't have never looked at it like that if God didn't present this hard opportunity. This, to me, that was hard. I hate funerals. But if he didn't present that before me, it wouldn't confirm something in me. It wouldn't establish something in me. It wouldn't have shaped my perspective concerning 
debt that I have now. So if y'all could stand with me as we pray. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.